Welcome to the Living Word, the radio broadcast ministry of Living Word Church. We've been talking in the past few weeks about true Christianity, what it's all about, what it's supposed to be, um, which is in sharp contrast to what we see in most places called church in this age. And uh, unfortunately, you see, um, God is not is not um, thrilled by the numbers we gather, the amount of money we raise in church, the size or the sophistication of the places of worship, um, auditoriums, I rather describe them, most of them nowadays as TV recording studios or entertainment arenas or something like that. But all those things don't thrill God. He's not into vain worship. He's not interested in the empty religious practices that um, people run around with. Remember what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman? He said, God, his spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, he says, those are the sort of worshippers the Father seeks. So the time has now come, and the time is here, when the worshippers of the Father, the true worshippers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, talking about worshipping in spirit is nothing to do with speaking in tongues and all that. What is talk- when Jesus talks about worshipping in spirit, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. You see in the Bible there, the spirit written there is in lowercase. That's in our spirit. So God is not thrilled, in other words, by our outward appearance in or out of church, the outward things we do, the showy things we do in the name of worship, of which all the ecstasy that's shown in a lot of places is part of it. You know, if people think you're very holy, you know, when when you can speak in tongues and make predictions about things and all sorts of things like that, that's got nothing at all to do with Christianity, quite honestly, if you get to the root of it. However, Jesus is saying that unless your, your inner self, your inner being, your heart is submitted to God, unless you're able to worship in that, your, when your, your spirit, your personal spirit is submitted to God, submitted to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, submitted, submitted to the guidance and instructions of the Holy Spirit. And remember, the instructions of the Holy Spirit are the instructions of Christ. The instructions of Christ are the instructions of God the Father. The three of them work together. They are one, the triune God. So the Holy Spirit of God will never mislead us into anything. So unless you're fully submitted, unless your spirit worships, and your spirit worshipping wouldn't necessarily mean the sort of things you do on the outside, yes, we are supposed to bear fruit, fruit of the Holy Spirit. When you are submitted to the Holy Spirit, he yields fruit in you. We cannot of ourselves bear fruit. We do not have the ability to because the carnal mind is absolutely opposed to everything concerning God. So when we, when you worship, when your spirit is truly, when there's absolute true sobriety in yourself, when there's true repentance within you, when you understand the depraved, your personal depraved nature and then appreciate the saving grace that come to Christ Jesus, that of yourself you are nothing and of yourself you can do nothing and you appreciate the forgiveness you have received in Jesus Christ, which leads to eternal life then you walk the rest of your days to the glory of God in absolute sobriety, in absolute humility before God. That's when you're worshipping in spirit and in truth. And then your worship is not just an issue of when you gather together in church, but your entire life is a constant worship. I've always, I always teach that. 
This is what I teach the to the members of the church I lead. I tell them, listen, it's not about when we come together. When we come together, we come together to fellowship as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the family of God, because we're commanded to do so. And this is how you come to learn the word and the will of God. But actual worship is a continuous thing. It's your daily life. It's your second-by-second lifestyle, everything you do. That's when you worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The truth being the Word of God, fully embraced, fully accepted by you as the Word of God. That is the written Word. I'm not talking about some word some guy comes up with when he tells you God and Jesus appeared to me this morning and he said this, and Jesus told me told this morning, have you told them about the thousand pound miracle? That's a whole lot of baloney. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about the written Word. Because what I find nowadays is a lot of people give credence to the word of their said prophets or, or bishops or whatever titles they have who have had personal revelation from the Lord as opposed to the written word of God. Nobody receives any such personal revelation. They may well receive them, but they're not from Christ. You know why? Because nothing. Not a word, not a letter can be added to written scripture nor taken out. The canon of God's word closed with the apostles. So he's not adding anything and he's not telling anybody anything new. So if I come to you for whatever reason one day and tell you, you know what, when I woke up this morning, whilst thinking about what I was going to talk about, don't know why we should have to think about what we're going to talk about in the Word of God. Every sentence in the in the Holy Bible, written word, needs interpretation, needs expounding to the people. Anyway, if I ever came to you and tell you, well, this morning as I was having coffee, the Lord appeared to me and he said, tell the people this. Forget it. I will be lying to you. Because everything we need to know is written down. It is called the Holy Bible. Old and New Testament alike, there is one message, and that message is about Christ the Lord. And so, this morning, we're going to take some text from Matthew chapter 10. Because Christianity is not about you, it is about Christ the Lord. Because nowadays, what we see is everybody, people go to church for the wrongest reasons. If there's any word like that. <laughs> but I couldn't overemphasize it. I could not exaggerate the fact that people are self-seeking. Now, you cannot be self-seeking and say you're a Christian. No, you're not. You only after Christ for what you can get out of him, which is what people are being encouraged to do these days. Oh, come to my church. My pastor is very hot. He's amazing. Boy, when he preaches breakthrough, people have had financial miracles. Oh, yeah, this single woman went there and before you knew it, she was married. And this person was barren. And you know, they've got babies now. My pastor is so hot. Oh, my prophet is so hot. He's incredible. I don't know about those hot people. If they got a, you better give them some, some, some painkillers so to, to get rid of their fever. If they're that hot, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. It's all a lot of nonsense, a lot of canality that's brought into Christianity. It's not about you. Christianity is not about what you can get out of Christ in this present world. Jesus did not come here. He did not come into the world so that you and I can run around in perfect health, have this sense amazingly blissful marriage and have an abundance of money and houses and cars and jewelry and all that baloney. Jesus actually said that pagans run after these things. He said, well, we are not to worry about material things. 
He said, we shall seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when he says, seek it first, doesn't matter, okay, now I've seen the kingdom of God, or I've got the kingdom of God because I'm going to heaven. So that's that. I've got my visa to heaven. Kingdom of God is not a place you're going to go to one day and so as such. Because you're Christian, you've got a visa. No, the kingdom of God is continuous. It says the life you live in the world, the life you live in Christ, that is the kingdom of God. So you see, the message of the gospel is not about you. Christianity is not about you. It's not about me. Jesus didn't come here for that. Jesus came to reconcile us with the Father. Because you know what? We were all enemies of God. And every man born is an enemy of God. Why? Because carnal man in himself is not able to do the will of God. Is not able to obey God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says carnal man hates God. Why? Because the life God has chosen, the life of righteousness that he intends us to live, the life of holiness that God wants us to live, we are not able to live. Ever since the seed of sin was found in us, we have chosen the way of sin. It's a lot more convenient. It's a lot more conducive. It's, the, it's wider and there's room for everybody. And so everybody in the world is entering, entering through the wide gate, walking the broad path that leads to destruction, according to our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Jesus came to reconcile us, and as such, by default, because of the sin in man and the, the love for self, man was alienated from the holy God. He's holy. Come on. There's no way he can condone the smallest iota of sin. He wouldn't do it. He simply wouldn't do it. But he's a loving and merciful, gracious father. And rather than choose to destroy us, as he destroyed the first earth, which he did, and he has every right to do whatever he chooses with this one, but because of his infinitely merciful nature, he chose not to destroy us, but to save us, and that through Christ Jesus, his only begotten Son, our Lord, our Savior, our Master. So Jesus came, that was his purpose, to reconcile us to God, so that the old perfect order of things which God established in the very first instance when he created man, he created man in perfection. Man was perfect. Man had all the righteousness and holiness that God wanted, was what God imputed to man. And that was all man was. Until, of course, selfish ambition led Eve to believe the lie of Satan that if she actually violated God's only command at the time, <clears throat> which was not to touch, not to eat of the fruit <clears throat> of the knowledge of good and evil. But Eve decided to fall for the gimmick and, you know, because of selfish ambition, which is still what is, what is destroying many people today. Christians alike. Now... <clears throat> Sorry, I've had this cold. I've been trying to shake for the past few weeks. Anyway, because man uh, decided to embark on this adventure to become like God, because this is what Satan said, come on, you wouldn't die if you, if you eat of this fruit. God knows that when you do eat of it, you will become like God. And so Eve desired to be like God. You know what? Competing for the sovereignty of God. Adam was led in the same way. They're both equally guilty because he should have known better, but he didn't resist his wife. He didn't resist his wife. You know what that meant? He preferred his wife to God. 
and so they both fell. Now, that same problem is still rampant today, where people are still preferring themselves, their wives, their mother, their father, their children, their earthly relationships, and the things that they desire, their own personal position, their own status, their own desires. A man is still preferring all this to God. Now, when you live like that, and the majority of the people unfortunately do, yeah, the kind of world, the unbelieving world, they do that. They live like that. But what bothers me is when Christians, so-called Christians, live like that. And sadly, many do. Because many people are in church today, not because they've heard the message of the gospel and they believe it. Not because they've realized their own depravity. Not because they are sober. Not because they are thirsting for salvation. But because they have been promised all kinds of things. Financial breakthrough, miracles, uh, a marriage, babies, all those things. Being told you can reach the, the ultimate height, the next level. That I hate that phrase. People keep telling me, you can get to the next level. Get to. What next level did God talk about in the Bible? What are you talking about? Where do you get these levels from? Who measures them out? What actually the Bible says to us is whatever position you find yourself at the time you were saved by Christ, stay in it with contentment. That's not saying you shouldn't seek to improve on whatever it is you do, but that thing must not be the center of your life. Christ must be the center of your life. So let's look at the scripture now. In chapter 10 of Matthew, chapter, uh, of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is sending out the 12 apostles to go and preach the kingdom of God is at hand. That was all. That is all of the message of the gospel. Everything else you hear, I don't know where it comes from. But the biblical message, the message of the gospel, the only gospel that is gospel, gospel means good news, the only message that is gospel is that of Christ Jesus, that now you can be reconciled to God and you will no longer be subject to the judgment of God to which you are entitled but now you can live in freedom. Not freedom to, to licentious living, because that's what you had before, and that wasn't freedom actually, that was bondage to Satan. Now, you can live in the freedom of knowing that you are now a child of God and you will not die, because the wages of sin is death. Every person is destined to die. And I'm not just talking about leaving this world, that's not dying, that's just merely separation from this world. I'm talking about the second death in hell. Now that is good news, that you no longer have to go to hell. You no longer have to face God's judgment. Now you can be reconciled. Now you can look up to heaven and cry, Abba, Father. God, you can now be a member of the family of God. You are now free. You can live in freedom. Freedom not to sin. Freedom not to be tied in bondage to Satan. So much teaching nowadays actually binds people up for Satan. I'll come to that at some stage. But that's what Jesus came for. And that is why it's the gospel. That's good news. Anything else you hear is bad news. It may look good from the outside. But it's bad news. Because in as much as it separates you from the will of God. In as much as it contradicts the word of God. In as much as it does not make you the kind of person that the Lord wants you to be. Then it is bad news. It may sound good to your ears. But the Bible does say that the time will come when people to suit their own greed and self-seeking nature 
<laughs> because they have itchy ears, will gather around themselves great number of teachers to tell them what they want to hear. And that's what we have in a lot of what is called church today. What you want to hear. Not what God is saying, but what you want to hear. A message of comfort. A message that tells you that, oh, you know, whatever is wrong with you. Oh, look at that. You're not rich yet. You're not wealthy yet. You're not married yet. Oh, somebody's trying to kill you. It's all because of somebody who's on your case. You've got some witches and wizards and all that nonsense on your case. I've never known a more gullible set of people than black people. It's shocking. You call yourselves Christians, but you cannot tear yourself away from your fetish and ridiculous beliefs. It's ridiculous. And so some people are praying on that while they claim to be delivering you from all this witchcraft and all that baloney. Where do you see all that nonsense in the Bible that Jesus said you should go around being delivered from witchcraft and some enemy is trying to destroy you? Do you know what? If your walk with God is right, if you are obedient to the word, when you worship God in spirit and in truth, when Christ is the center of your life, there is no influence from any demonic realm or spiritual realm rather that can, that can change your destiny. Or obstruct you in any way. Yes, you will have problems. And this is exactly what we're talking about. You will have problems. Jesus, in chapter 10 of Matthew, sending out the apostles to preach that the kingdom of God is at hand. He's warning them now, throughout this chapter, he's warning them of all the difficulties they're going to face. All the hardships. All the persecution. Even unto death. That they would face. And that instruction is the same to you and I today, if we say we're Christian, so you better think about it properly. Are you really a Christian? Because you know what? If you're not willing to suffer, you cannot be a Christian because you will suffer. Why? We're in the end, we're on enemy's territory in this world. God has given Satan free hand to do what he likes with the world. And so he does what he likes. So for that reason, Christians will suffer. Yes, disciples of Jesus will suffer. And all the early Christians did. They were willing to. Because it didn't then matter to them what was going on around them in the world. They were heaven focused. And you were supposed to be the same. I am supposed to be the same. But there's too much concentration on this world. Let's look at the text. We can't read the entire chapter of Matthew chapter 10. But I'll take it um, from verse 34. <clears throat> And Jesus speaking here says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the only portion I'm going to deal with because I spoke earlier about people you prefer, people who are preferring everything to Christ. Your husband doesn't like, he's not a Christian, so, you know, well, you can't go to church anymore. Well, your wife wouldn't go to church or doesn't believe in your church or something. I don't know about what you mean believing in a certain church. Anyway, you're supposed to believe in Christ. Or your parents don't like it. And situations like, whatever it is. Even forget about them opposing you, uh, you, you going to church. What about your Christianity, your, your lifestyle? You, you, you are happy to, to be in any kind of relationship with anyone. And forsake the commands of the Lord. 
You get into all those ridiculous unholy alliances. You're so desperate for a husband, it doesn't matter whether he's a non-believer. You're so desperate for a woman, you, you, you don't care whether she loves Christ or not. And of course, you deny Christ. You know what Jesus said? He said in verse 32 of that, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Does Jesus confess you today before the Father in heaven or does he deny you? Because a lot of people are too embarrassed to say they're Christian. They don't profess it openly. Go to church on Sunday and dance like mad and do all that. Sow all kinds of seed because they're wanting more. But outside, they don't want to claim it. They don't want to, they don't want to be associated with the name of Christ. It's a bit embarrassing. Maybe because you come from a Muslim family or whatever else. Or you don't think it's trendy enough. You know, amongst your friends, you'll be looked at as a wimp. Because you say you're Christian, you're born again. You're not even born again. You're not even a Christian. If you cannot open or own up to the name of Christ anywhere, anytime, you are not a Christian. Now, if you're not ready to suffer, because... The easy believism that is being touted as Christianity today, it tells you that you're not supposed to suffer because you're a Christian. Poverty is a sin. Jesus was very wealthy. I've had lots of nonsense being shouted down off stages with the people called pulpits nowadays. I've had so much nonsense and blasphemous talk. Jesus was so wealthy. Some madman who controls a church of tens of thousands here in London had the audacity to say that if Jesus was by no means poor, because the reason the Roman soldiers who, who um, crucified him, you know, tore up his undergarments and split it up and cast lots for it was because it was the most ex- undergarment in existence in that time. It was so expensive because Jesus was so wealthy. Such blasphemy. And people were shouting out there, you know, going, hallelujah, yeah, amen. What are you talking about? Not only will that guy himself, not only will he end up in hell if he continues with his foolish heretical teaching, but so will everyone who follows him because we're supposed to follow Christ. And nowhere in the gospel of Christ does he tell us, nowhere in all his teachings does he tell us about expensive apparel and all those things and you're not supposed to be poor and you must be wealthy because you're a Christian and poverty is a sin. You want to believe such foolishness, you will end up where all the sinners go. Now, Christianity is a very tough work and it's a very hard life. Jesus said it again. In chapter 16 of John, you know, he was, um, when he was talking to his disciples about he was leaving them. Now they were going to be on their own, but the Holy Spirit will be with them to guide them, to lead them, to teach them, to remind them of his teachings, studying them of all the dangers they would face. He even said to them, people who kill you at some stage will say they're doing a service to God, you know. As the attitude of the um, of the militant Muslims to Christians, isn't it? They they're killing Christians, saying they're doing a service to God. Amazing. But Jesus foretold all these things before that, and he said in th- verse thirty three of John chapter sixteen, Jesus said, "In this world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The victory we have is in the resurrection of Christ, the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. That's the victory that we have." Nowhere, not once, did Jesus ever tell us that life is going to be a bed of roses because you're a Christian. You will have all the physical healings you need. Do you know, Jesus, in chapter 10 of Matthew, which I read from, Jesus actually gave the, uh, he gave the apostles authority. He gave them the authority 
to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. Do you know why he did that? Because that authority no longer exists with us today. He did that at the time because it sent these apostles out to go and, uh, and announce to go and announce the arrival of the Messiah, of Christ. Because all of Israel was expecting the Messiah. Now the Messiah had come. So he sent them out to go and preach that the kingdom of God is at hand. Yes, the Messiah is now here. And in order that they may know, to attest to the fact that the Messiah is indeed here, and he is God the Son, the fullness of God, yet man. He gave them that authority to do that so that the people would believe that he had sent them because he had the authority and the power to raise the dead, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. So he gave them that authority at that time to do the work which he sent them to do. He did not send them with any other message. The kingdom of God is at hand. He did not say to them, and forever and forever you'll be healing the sick and casting out demons and raising the dead. It was for for a sign at that time to attest to his arrival. Jesus himself did those things, performed a lot of miracles. The miracles of nature Jesus performed, nobody's ever performed. None of the disciples did that. And he did, to prove his sovereignty, Jesus, he, 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 he performed all those miracles as well to show that he was God. Supernatural things that people did not know that could only have come from God, that could only be done by God. So now we've got a lot of fake magicians all over the place, both miracle makers and healers and all that nonsense, hypnotizing people and using all kinds of powers of sorcery. And we call the church, and that's the message of the gospel. Besides the Acts of the Apostles, when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers at the very start, nowhere else in all the epistles and all the writings of the Apostles do they talk about healings and miracles and, 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 and raising any dead. Why? Because that was not the message that we, they were sent by. And they did not spend all their lives doing that. Paul himself was sick and he was not even healed by God, even though he cried out to God for healing. He wasn't healed. When Epaphroditus, Paul's companion, a fellow disciple, was, was sick, Paul said God healed him. He was sick for a long time and almost died, but God healed him just to spare me the agony. And yet another disciple, Paul, said he left him sick. I'm trying to remember his name now. He left him sick in, 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 in Miletus. He did not heal him. Timothy, was, Timothy had frequent sickness and illness. Paul did not heal him. That was for a time, for a purpose, that particular power of miraculous healings. And we don't have it today. Believe me, we don't have it today. Everything we have today is fake. I can tell you, not to say that God hasn't got the power to heal. Yes, he has. And he does heal in response to prayer of the righteous when he chooses to. But when a person is staging in a healing, a healing convention, that's a whole lot of nonsense. Or a person calls themselves something healing church or healing center. We're not told to establish any healing or miracle centers. We're told to preach the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. That is the timeless message of God. And that is all that is required. If it be God's will, if I'm ill, he will, he will heal me. If it is not his will, I may die from that illness. 
But it doesn't make any difference to me because I'm not about this world. I'm not going to stay here forever. I don't want to be here forever. Nobody wants to, well, no right-thinking Christian, no proper Christian wants to be in this present world as it is forever. We're supposed to look forward to what is to come, which God has promised. So now, Jesus says, unless you're able to deny yourself, deny, you cannot love anything or anyone over and above Christ. It's not done. You're not a Christian if you live in like that. He says, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. We're talking of a pain of, cro- of uh, a cross of pain and, and agony. A cross of self-denial and selflessness, not the selfishness that's rampant today. I'm not talking about the, what people call the cross. Ooh, you have a falling marriage or, or some kind of uh, incorrigible husband. You go, oh, that's my personal cross I have to bear. That's not the cross God is studying you to bear. Or your finances have gone all haywire. Oh, that's the cross I have to bear. No, it's not. Jesus isn't talking about your personal problems. That is never your cross. The cross that Christ, that Christ talks about is that cross of self-denial, that cross of a selfless life, of total submission to Christ. No matter what it takes, no matter how much hardship you have to go through, no matter how much difficulty, no matter how much rejection, no matter how much rejection. I was rejected by my parents because of my faith. It doesn't bother me. You know what? The Bible makes it clear. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. The Lord took me up the moment I came to Jesus as Lord. And not just them, even some of my siblings. But I don't care. Because I will not compromise my faith for anyone. I will not compromise my service to Christ or my love for Christ. And Jesus says, you want to save your life? You want to run around looking for healings and for miracles and for breakthroughs and for marriages? and for." He said, you're wanting to save your life by yourself. You're going to lose it. And what he's talking about, you're going to lose it for all eternity because you're not walking in line with his instructions. He has told you not to worry about all those things. When you serve God in spirit and in truth, when you worship God in spirit and in truth, he will give you all that you need for this life. That is not saying you're going to be able to live in excess. You're going to be a millionaire. You're going to have a perfect, wonderful marriage. You're going to have all the children. No, that's not what it says. Whatever it is God gives you, be content. The Bible teaches godliness with contentment is great gain. If you are not able to live a sacrificial life, you are not a Christian. doesn't matter how much you say it. I don't care how many times you've been dipped in water and baptism it doesn't matter how much seeds or how much money you give into your church you're not a christian the life of a christian is one of total and absolute self-denial and unless you're able to live like that you cannot be a part of the life of christ he did not live for himself jesus as a man though being god lived for god the father the apostles after him lived for christ the son christ the lord to bring glory to the father You and I have the same mandate. We have to live for Christ to bring glory to the Father. Unless your life is like that, unless you're worshiping in spirit and in truth, unless you're ready to deny anything and forsake any relationship and give up anything for Christ, you are not a Christian. And you really need to be. Because you know what? Everything you're chasing after in this world is going to pass. And very soon, you don't even know how much time you have. You need to be reconciled to the Father. That's the reason Jesus came. That is Christianity. Until the next time, we're going to continue this series for another three weeks or so. And until the next time, may the Lord be with you.